0: message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. Well, today, uh, if you can look up at the screen, you'll see a new series that we're starting today. And this is, I think it's going to be very interesting because I always try to alternate between the New Testament and the Old Testament, try to give us a full picture of God's Word and this particular prophet, you know, over the last few years we've kind of uh, somewhat systematically been going through the minor prophets in a... Uh, I guess alongside some New Testament epistles and our study through the book of Acts. And this particular prophet is interesting because Zechariah is the 11th out of the 12 minor prophets. It's the next to last book in the Old Testament. And the prophet before Zechariah, Haggai, those two guys were kind of contemporaries. They were living and even preaching during the same time period. We're looking at about 520 B.C., so roughly 500 years before Jesus was born. But if you remember your church history a little bit, or maybe you can go and and look this up and see the timeline, the year 586 B.C. was pretty uh, monumental for God's people because that's when they were in captivity. And so if you think about... um, the destruction of a temple. If you think about the the exile of God's people, five eighty six, and you know we're, we're BC, so we're counting down. So we get five eighty six down to five twenty. Um, the years of captivity are nearing an end, but they don't know that. So they need they need words from God. They need help. So Zechariah is a very interesting prophet. But as we Think about that and what his job was, the, the word God gave him. I, I want to think first, maybe some more uh, practical terms for us. Some, some things in our world that we can try to compare, although it's not a, a straight comparison, but maybe some things that help us think in the right direction. Here's what I mean. Have you ever gotten a product or, or a, um, anything, really, and you've read the label, and you've seen there's some warnings on certain products. Some of them are just really in, insane. But uh, there, there's, there's things that warn you about maybe an improper way to use something. You, have, you know what I'm talking about? All right, so uh, some of them, if you, if you, you might now like, go into your house this afternoon and just start to look at things and see if you can find funny warnings. Let me share a few of them with you because the ones I found um anyway you'll, you'll you'll understand for example on a washing machine, do not put any person inside this washer okay I, fi- I figured that was kind of a safe assumption anyway uh in a in a car a car's owner's manual Never use a lit match or open flame to check your fuel level. Okay? Uh, some of you may remember when they used to actually publish the Bell South Yellow Pages. It used to be a big book, very helpful in finding businesses. In the uh, Bell South Yellow Pages, actually on the cover, it says in small print, Please do not use this directory while operating a moving vehicle. Um, Scrubbing Bubbles Toilet Brush. Let me me say that again. The Scrubbing Bubbles Toilet Brush says, do not use for personal hygiene. (laughs) Okay? Especially not after you've used the toilet brush. Um, On an outdoor digital antenna, do not attempt to install this product if drunk, pregnant, or both. Um, This one made no sense to me at all. On uh, a hair dryer. Do not use while sleeping. Um, And maybe maybe the funniest one, I have several more, but I'll just do one more. Uh, On a child-size Superman costume, the package says... Wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. And you know what that means? If there's a warning, that means sometime someone has attempted some of these things. Otherwise, they wouldn't have had to put a warning. So, now those are mostly all just silly, humorous. But here's the question Why do we need warnings? From anything, for anything. Why do we need someone else to warn us not to do something? In general, it's because we evidently, and I say we as a collective human race, apparently we don't have enough presence of mind all the time to do the right thing, to do the normal thing. Uh, If you have lived any length of time at all, and as you grow older and older, you'll see this more and more, and you'll probably gain a lot deeper level of understanding of this principle. Sin is a terrible, terrible thing. And it points us in directions we would never, if we were thinking clearly, we would never go in some directions we go or do, or say, or think, any of these things that we do say or think, if we were to just pause and just think for a minute. You know, this I don't need to do this. I don't need to think this. I don't need to say this to that person. But oftentimes we forego the thought process and we just act or we speak. And maybe we should... Slow down a bit, right? So we've all been taught things, uh, whether it be by, by parents or by co-workers or by uh, bosses, uh, or maybe we have taught other people. Maybe if we've got kids, we have things we want to teach our children, we intend to teach our children. Maybe there's some tough lessons that we've learned in, throughout our lives, or we've been through experiences that may have stayed with us, for quite some time, maybe we experienced something early in our lives and that experience has really stuck with us, like we can recall it with clarity, even after a number of years. But here's why I ask these questions and, and use these silly examples. Uh, there's a quote, some, some had attributed it to Winston Churchill, but he was actually quoting someone else, uh, a guy named George Santiana who wrote a book, called Reason in Common Sense. And here's the the gist of what he said. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. I believe Winston Churchill said, uh, adapting that, if you can't learn from history, you're doomed to repeat it. Same basic principle. So the wisdom in that statement, you just can't make a big big enough deal about that. uh, Because you have to learn from your experiences. You have to learn from history. We need to learn from our mistakes. But better yet, here's the ideal situation. We should learn from other people's mistakes so we don't have to make our own. Right? And, and that sounds so obvious and so rational, logical, but it's so hard to do. It's so hard to learn those lessons to where they really stick with you and affect your future behavior. So, Zechariah comes along and he is offering some wisdom in in the form of a warning for God's people. And so, here's our opportunity, y'all. We can learn from the mistakes of others, we can learn from things other people did. That maybe they meant well, but they didn't go the right path. So maybe we can look at this and start to learn for ourselves so we don't make the same mistakes. I'm going to be reading uh, Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. And uh, here's what the Bible says. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, son of Edo, saying, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore say to them, Thus declares the Lord of hosts, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers, to whom the former prophets cried out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds, but they did not hear or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants, the prophets, did they not overtake your fathers? So they repented and said, As the Lord of hosts, Purposed to deal with us for our ways and deeds, so has He dealt with us. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would speak to us very clearly through this word of yours. Help us to have ears and hearts and minds to understand. And Lord, I pray you'd give us the grace and mercy that would cause us to be obedient for Christ's sake and His glory. Amen. So let me share with you a little context about this prophet here. Zechariah is actually one of the more difficult books in the Old Testament, but the date of it is one of the not difficult parts. Uh, He says that he received his first revelation from God in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, who was the emperor of Persia at the time. And so this puts Zechariah within the same time frame, even the same years, as I said, of his contemporary Haggai. So if you were to take your Bible and turn one page back, guess what you'd see? Haggai. So these two guys were... Alive and preaching at the same time. They both heard from the Lord and they had a particular message to give to His people. So they were also, both of these prophets, were among the 42,000-some-odd Jews who had returned to Judah under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who was the governor. And here's a name you might recognize, Joshua, the high priest. And their task was to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. And it was only two months after Haggai had started his first message from God that Zechariah received his. So so real close together, these two gentlemen. And so just like Haggai, Zechariah's message is really one of encouragement, more like uh, exhortation uh, 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 and, a, and encouragement toward doing something. Uh, let me encourage you to go this direction. It's almost like what he was saying. He was, he was aware, though, the problem. Here was the problem. All these folks who had returned, this remnant of people, not all of them were completely sincere in their desire to serve God. So Zechariah is counseling the people to repent thousands of God's people but even in a church setting not everybody is at listen to me not everybody's at the same level of following Jesus some of it's because of time some of it's because of experience But not everybody, even in a room this size, this number of people, statistically speaking, there are people in this room that are at all kind of different levels in their spiritual journey. There's different ages. There's different church experience and background. There's different exposure to uh, the Word of God and to discipleship. Growth, different growth rates among God's people. So even in this group, not everybody is ready to do what God wants them to do. Right, you have to get to a point. God brings you to a point where you have to eventually come to this realization. You know what? I don't need all this other nonsense in my life. I need to, to, to focus. I need to follow Jesus. That's what's going to cause me to grow In Christ, it's what's going to be most beneficial for me, for my family. We have to get to that point. So Zechariah is counseling the people to repent of their sin, to return to God with all their hearts and minds. And, And he's going to unfold some rich and comforting promises here. He has a series of visions from God that he's going to share. But here's the thing. Riches like these are for people who have repented of their sin. And they're ready to embrace the will and the declarations of God. In other words, not everybody is ready to hear what God has to say. But we all want to. We all should want to get to that point. So... Folks, this is why this opening portion here, this opening message of Zechariah's prophecy is so vitally important. We must return to the Lord. It's, it's, not a, um, it's not a negotiable. It's a necessity. We must return to the Lord. One of the pastors I heard this week it's from Kenya. His name's Christian Lawanda. He actually pastors the church in the Middle East. But he grew up in Kenya. And, and here's what he said during his message this week. From, and he was preaching from 2 Timothy. But, but listen to these words he said Friend, outside of Jesus Christ, you're not just in trouble, you're condemned. And if God were to condemn you and all humanity to hell, He would be perfectly justified in doing so. But God demonstrates His love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Return. Return to the Lord. We talk about God's grace and mercy so much. And in this particular text today, there's only one point with four little parts in this first six-verse passage. But as we talk about, think about God's grace and His mercy, we make statements like this. There, there is no sin you could have possibly committed where God's grace won't reach you. Where it won't cover you. There's no distance you could possibly run away from God where His grace can't catch up to you. There's no depth that you can go to where God's mercy is not enough to get you back to Him. We make those statements all the time, things like that. But I wonder sometimes if we truly believe that or if we just say it we, maybe intellectually we, we read it in the scripture we understand maybe we understand it and we we say it because we know it's true but we do we really know it's true have we experienced the enormity of god's grace and mercy Because we use those statements when we talk about salvation, when we share the Gospel, when we preach the Gospel. We're talking to somebody who's apart from Christ, and we're saying, friend, you can come to Jesus right now. It doesn't matter what you've done. He's big enough. He can handle it. And that's the truth, right? That's the truth. But what about once you've been saved? What about after you've come to the Lord in repentance and faith? And after you believed in Jesus and trusted in Him for your salvation, now you're on a different pathway. Do you you still believe that God's grace and mercy is sufficient? Being a Christian certainly doesn't make you perfect. You're still going to sin. You're still going to do or say or think things that just baffle you. Why in the world would I do that? I know better than that. Well, guess what? Maybe this is a newsflash. Maybe it's not. shouldn't be. God's grace and mercy are still enough. They're still sufficient. God hasn't changed. His character doesn't change. The same grace, mercy, kindness, love, patience, faithfulness that got you into the kingdom keeps you in the kingdom and supports you in life once you're in the family of God. God doesn't change. He certainly doesn't change the way He interacts with His children. So Zechariah has a very particular message, a very specific message, and this opening paragraph, or two paragraphs really, the, the one point with the four sub-points, the one message, here it is, Repent! Return to the Lord. It really is that simple. Repent and return to the Lord. And, and as Zechariah tries to explain and break this down, this message, try to make it a little bit more uh, specific and understandable for God's people, he says some things about why and how we should repent and return to the Lord. First of all, God's going to judge sin. God will judge sin. He, he speaks of the forefathers of this generation and how they were also called to repentance. So here's this idea we've got to learn from history because He mentions the forefathers. He mentions the fathers. They didn't repent. They assumed they were safe because of their family line. Remember? Uh, we're, we, hey, we're God's chosen people. We're the, the, the nation of Israel. We're, we're fine. Right? It doesn't matter what we do. We're fine. Nothing can be further from the truth. It doesn't matter who your father is on earth. It matters who your father is in heaven. It doesn't matter what your family tree looks like. It matters if you belong to Christ and you you honor Christ. So these forefathers that Zechariah mentions, they suffered the consequences for their actions. And so he talks about Isaiah and Jeremiah, several of the minor prophets, how destruction came, Jerusalem was overrun, the people were deported into captivity. I mentioned that about 586 BC, of how the, the fate of the people, how it was so bad, and it was because the people didn't repent. They wouldn't follow God. They thought, hey, we're safe, we're good. Here's a a modern day example. Or maybe analogy. Man, I go to church. I got a Bible in my house. Never mind that it only gets opened a couple times a month. But hey, I I, I go to church. I go. To, I got good attendance. You know, pull my attendance records down there at the church. I I bet you I'm there probably eighty percent of the time. I'm fine, man. I'm fine. Does anybody? with an open Bible and an open mind, actually believe that's the truth? I hope not. All of our best works on our very best day are so insufficient in God's eyes. Why do you think The Gospel is all about Jesus and it's not about doing good things. It's because you need Jesus for forgiveness. You need Jesus to go to heaven. You need Jesus to breathe your next breath. We can't live without Jesus. Nothing I can do is ever going to get me to heaven. James Boyce wrote that, about this passage, he's almost in disbelief. He says, could anything be more obvious? God judges all. Although in His patience, judgment may be for a time delayed, it does at last come. And sinners do have to give an accounting for what they've done, whether good or bad. We all will stand before the Lord. Hebrews chapter 9, and verse 27. It's appointed unto man once to die, and then comes... Judgment. Stand before the Lord. We all have an appointment for that. So not only does Zechariah reiterate this idea that God will judge sin, he also says you should learn from past history. Learn from past history. Verse 2, God was angry with their forefathers. The people were aware of the consequence of disobedience to the prophets. They saw it in their previous generation. And there were many examples of God's judgment in previous generations. There was no argument left from ignorance. You couldn't just say, oh, I didn't know. They knew. They knew. So if you know, that means we're responsible for what we know and, and how we deal with that. Andrew Hill wrote that the Lord is a jealous God... He will not give His glory to another. Thankfully, the Lord is a merciful and gracious God, patient and slow to anger. Therefore, Zechariah brings this message. Repent. Return. Come back. Come back to where you were. Come back to God. Right? It doesn't matter if you have strayed or how far you strayed, or how much you think in your mind, well, there's no way God would forgive me now. No, He will. He will if you repent, if you return. The third thing is that uh, Zechariah shows the people that blessings come with obedience, not from disobedience. Just in the the prior prophecy that I mentioned from Haggai in chapter 2, down in verse 15, Listen to what Haggai said. He said, Now then, consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? When one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the wine vat to draw fifty measures, there were only twenty. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. So consider from this day onward, from the twenty-fourth day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundations of the Lord's temple were laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing. But from this day on, I will bless you. you know why he said that? Because he's seeing the repentance of the people. So the Lord's message to them changed. Remember, Haggai and Zechariah, they're, they're alive, they're teaching at the same time. So Haggai had said to the people from this day on, in other words, from the day of their repentance, from the time they turn back to God, hey, that, all, that, all that cursing, all that judgment that, that happened to you, that's going to change. It's going to change. Blessing comes from Obedience. Let me ask you a question. Does God seem far away from you? Just in general. Does God seem far away? If God seems far away, it's because we're removed from Him by our sin. It's not God's fault. If we return to Him, He will return to us and bring blessings says James Boyce in his commentary on this. It's worth uh, understanding how this uh, this whole equation works. It's not a, a, an equation like we would look, think of in math or something like that, but there is a connection, a very clear connection, that God's blessings come from obedience to God's Word. If we... If we think we can just do whatever we want, live however we want, and God's just going to be okay with that, that's not how it works. God calls us to a life of obedience. Andrew Hill wrote this about this word return. This is very helpful. In context, expressing covenant relationship like this, the word return, the Hebrew word, is the Old Testament term for repentance. So if you understand, when Zechariah gets this word from God and he gives it to the people and says, return to me, he's saying, repent. It's a synonym. He's saying the same thing. And it signifies an about face, a complete turnaround on the part of the person who is repenting. The expression talks about a change or a shift in loyalty away from sin and self and toward God. It's like a a reorientation to God and His covenant demands. And the imperative form, this command that Zechariah gives, gives a sense of urgency and it places a demand for immediate and specific action on the part of those addressed. Return. Turn. He uses that word several times in verses 3 and 4. And it just gives more and more of a sense of urgency. So when we see this command, repent return to the Lord, and we understand how that works out in practical life, God judges sin, we should learn from past history, blessing comes with obedience. And the last thing is this, God's Word is inescapable. God's word is inescapable. No one can get away from it. It's eternal, it's unchangeable. And, and, and before we think that God is just all about our behavior, I, I don't want us to, to leave here thinking that today. Because, you know, we're not talking about behavior modification. We're talking about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. We're talking about a change in who we are, not just in what we do. Martin Luther, the great reformer, he wrote about this prophecy. Because, you know, the people were called to come and rebuild the temple when they came back to Judah, right? But but listen to what Martin Luther wrote. He says, no, no, my good man, rather than all good works, God wants faith and a heart converted to Him. That is all He is interested in. This must come first and be preached first. Return to Me, and after that, build Me a temple. Not, first build Me a temple... And after that, return to me. Good works inflate us and make us proud, but faith and conversion humble us and make us despair of ourselves. Repent. Return. And the thing that these good folks here in Judah could not have experienced or seen in the year 520 B.C. Zechariah was talking about Jesus. In chapter 9, He's going to be the prophet who prophesies about the Messiah coming into Jerusalem on a donkey. That's where that comes from. So Zechariah was pointing us... who's a pastor in Harlem, Georgia. It's a little bit west of Augusta. And I pray for him every Sunday. He's in my little list of preachers, that I have friends that I pray for every Sunday morning. And there's probably 20 people or more on there. But you know what, Nick, Nick always responds exactly the same way every single week without exception. He'll maybe like the thing I posted or whatever. But here's what he says. Give him Jesus. That's his response every single week. Just give him Jesus. And that's exactly what I've tried to do. Because that's exactly what Zachariah was doing. And honestly, he may not have even known it fully himself. He just got the Word from God and he, he said what God told him, to, told him to say. But we know, looking back, he's pointing us to Jesus. How else can we repent and return to God? What's the, what are the means by which we can do that? How do we get back to God? It's because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. You see, the wise counsel of God comes to us the same way it came to the people of Zechariah's day. The same command, the same encouragement, the same plea. Return to Me, declares the Lord of hosts. And by the way, a little side note here. You know the song we sang this morning, Whom Shall I Fear? I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always on my side. You know who that is? Five times in the first six verses. The Lord of hosts. Literally translated, the God of angel armies. He's right here. That's who Zachariah is talking about. That's who we were singing about. He's always on my side. The, The question here, though, is where are we? Because we don't have to wonder if God is on our side. But I believe He often wonders if we're on His side. See, God wasn't just interested in the work He had called the people to do. He was interested in the people He had called to do the work. Just as as Luther said, rather than all good works, He wants faith and a heart converted to Him. That's all He's interested in. So, here's where that leaves us. He wants you. God just wants you. He's not interested in the work you can do for him. He's not interested in the things you have or the things we think we have. Friend, he he just wants you. He wants you, your heart, devoted to Him. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word.